Welcome to episode 206 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's Word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about the name of God, Jehovah Rapha. Let's dive in. Last month, in episode 202, we began a brand new study looking at the names of God in Scripture. Again, the first week of every month, I want to be taking that episode in this podcast and kind of walk through some of these phenomenal names of God. Now, I've mentioned this many times before, but names in Scripture are not just a name. A name was symbolic of character and nature and attribute. So when, as we look at these names of God, it's important to realize that we're not just talking about a name that God declares, it's actually a revelation of his character, his nature, and his attributes. And what's even more phenomenal is that when God became flesh or when God became man, right, in the person of Jesus, Jesus is the fullness. He is the climactic expression. He is the fulfillment of every single one of God's names. Well, this month, I want to look at the name Jehovah Rapha. It actually may be one of my favorite names to study in the light of the context. Now, that name, Jehovah Rapha, only shows up one time in Scripture, and it's found in Exodus chapter 15. Now, just for note, that word Rapha, or healer, does show up in a whole bunch of other places, but this is the only time where the name is actually given. And so just for the sake of the context, let me read you Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22, going down through verse 27. So again, they just got out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They just crossed the Red Sea. And here they are. They're heading over to the promised land. So this is before the testing and before the 40 years of wandering. But it says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they were three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. Now, that's really important because you realize if you've gone three days in the middle of the wilderness, and again, we're talking about Middle Eastern wilderness, which is not, you know, mountains and forests and trees. We're talking desert and sand. So they've gone out from the Red Sea, they've gone into the wilderness of Shur, and now they're three days into the desert without any water. And again, the reason that is so significant is because they have gone to the point of no return. They've gone way too far into the desert to return. If they were to return now, they don't have enough days to make it back before they die of dehydration. So they're three days into the wilderness. Now it says in verse 23, now they came to a place called Marah, and they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of that place was Mara, which means bitter. <laughs> now, verse 24. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So Moses cried out unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And God said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. 
What an incredible passage. Again, they're three days out in the middle of a desert, and they begin to realize they are in desperate need of water. Now, what's interesting is they have come to a place that has water. There's a body of water there. The problem is, is that no one could drink it because the waters were bitter. In other words, the waters were not as they should be. The waters were twisted. The waters were polluted. The waters were just not drinkable. And so, of course, they complain to Moses. Moses takes it to God. And I love what this says. In verse 25, it says that the Lord showed Moses a tree and he cast it into the waters. And when Moses took the tree and threw it into the midst of the waters, the waters weren't just made clean or pure. They were made sweet. In fact, that water was so clean and so pure that it was sweet. Wow, what an incredible picture. And it's in light of this, God says, look, this is my nature. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals. Now, it's important to realize that that word or that name Jehovah, which we've yet to study, but that word bespeaks of God's eternal nature. In other words, it's that I am declaration that he gave Moses in Exodus chapter three. So when God says, my name is Jehovah, he's saying my nature is immutable. It does not change. I am who I am. I was, I am, and I forever will be the same. So when God says, I am Jehovah Rapha, he's not just saying I'm a healer in this particular instance. He says, that is my nature. I am a healer. Now, I love looking at scripture in the light of this context. Do you realize that God loves to heal? And it's an amazing thought because I think, especially in Western culture, if you're in certain denominations, we kind of shy back and kind of go, well, uh, yes, God has healed in the past, but is that actually for today? Well, if his name is Jehovah Rapha and he does not change, well, that means his that his character is that of a healer. He was a healer. He is a healer. He forever will be a healer. And again, that word Rapha means to heal. So when you study that word out throughout scripture, you find that it's used in three different kinds of contexts or three different ways. Uh, one way that word Rapha is used is in light of physical diseases or sickness. In other words, God can heal physical disease. And you can see that in the Old Testament, for example, in Psalm 103 verses 2 through 5. The psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals, Rapha, all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. So one of the ways that word Rapha is used is in light of healing physical disease or sickness. Another way that word is used is in light of emotional distress or emotional sickness. Uh, For example, in Psalm 147 verse 3, the psalmist says that God heals Rapha, the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds. In other words, what does God do? Well, he brings healing into emotions, which is absolutely beautiful. And then the third way that word is used is in light of spiritual sickness. In other words, sin. For example, Psalm 41.4, it says, I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. 
and it's using that word Rapha. God, bring about healing in the very depths of my being. Heal my soul, for it is literally tainted with sin, is what the psalmist is, is crying out. Or, for example, in Jeremiah 3, verse 22, it says, Return, you backsliding children, and I will Rapha your backslidings. So God is making this proclamation through Jeremiah, and he's literally crying out to those in Judea, and he says, Hey, look, return to me, says the Lord you backsliding children, and I will bring healing to your backslidings. And that word backsliding means to turn away. It means apostasy. It means rebellion. It means a backslide. In other words, hey, you are rebelling against me. You are full of sin and rebellion and treason within your heart. But if you would just return, I will bring healing. I will rapha that sin in your life. That is an incredible picture of God desiring and being a healer. Now, the very first instance that we see of healing is actually before the fall. And I think that's significant because what that tells us is that God being Jehovah Rapha isn't just a result of the fall, right? So man sinned and God says, oh, no, I guess I better be a healer so I can restore these things. Well, we actually see God doing a work of healing even before Genesis chapter 3. And so what you find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, is that God looks at Adam and he says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. And so God puts Adam in a deep sleep and literally opens up Adam's side, takes one of the ribs and makes Eve. And then it says that he closed up the flesh in its place. Now, it's not using the word Rapha, but what is God doing? He's bringing about physical healing to the place, the wound, that he took the rib out of Adam's side. And again, I think that is so phenomenal in light of God being a healer. Now, as we come into the New Testament, we see that this thing increases and goes to a whole nother level. So here is Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And as God, he is he has the same nature, he has the same attributes, he has the same character as he's always had all throughout eternity. Well, if he is Jehovah Rapha, what do we expect Jesus to do when he's on earth in the flesh? Well, we expect him to heal. And that is exactly what we see taking place. For example, in John chapter 20, verse 30, John is recording and kind of bringing a summary to his book. And he says, truly, Jesus did many other signs or miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And then he later says in John 21, verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And he's talking about those signs, those miracles, which Jesus did. Now, we know specifically one of the reasons why Jesus came, yes, ultimately was for the cross, but it was also to fulfill prophecy and really bring about a restoration of healing. For example, in Isaiah 53, verse 5, talking about the Messiah to come, speaking of Jesus, it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are rothed. We are healed. Or in Isaiah 61, 1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now think about this. Jesus quoted this in the synagogue. He says, the spirit, this is Isaiah 61, 1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because the Lord has appointed, anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. In Matthew chapter 4, we see that being demonstrated. In Matthew 4, verse 23 and 24, it says that Jesus went all throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all sorts of diseases among the people. His fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were taken with various diseases and tormented with pain, those who were possessed with demons, those who had seizures, those who had paralysis, and he healed them. Isn't it an incredible picture that here is God in the flesh? And it's not that God stopped being a healer. He was a healer. He is a healer. And he forever will be a healer. Now, I don't want to downplay this idea of physical disease or sickness because I fully believe that God can still bring healing even today. And in fact, I love the great missionary stories where where uh, some missionary goes into a tribe and, and testifying of the glory, the, the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God brings about healing. So God can, God can still heal today, and he can heal physically. But what's interesting to me is that that actually doesn't seem to be his priority point when it comes to this idea of Rapha or healing. That yes, God delights in healing physically, and we know that in the in the the age to come, we are going to receive new bodies. Praise the Lord! <laughs> That's such good news. He's going to heal uh, the the curse that has been placed upon this earth. That there's going to be a restoration of all things. So there is a healing to come in in the in a big picture sense. But isn't it funny how even the ones Jesus healed, for example, Lazarus, he raised from the dead and brought forth what you could call healing. And yet we know at some point Lazarus died. Hey, the person that he healed of leprosy eventually died. So while I don't want to diminish this idea of physical healing, we have to realize that it seems like because death is still inevitable, that's not the primary emphasis of this idea of healing. And maybe just to make this awkward <laughs> in the stop process, does God physically heal every single person that comes to him? Well, interestingly, in the Gospels, we never see Jesus turning someone away from healing. But we do know from the Gospels that he did not heal everyone. For example, as you come into Acts chapter 3 and 4, here is this lame beggar sitting by gate beautiful that had been sitting there for decades. And he was not healed by Jesus. Yet we know Jesus walked in and out of gate beautiful and he would have passed by this lame beggar. So though Jesus never refused anybody who came to him, it seems like there are people that he just didn't heal. And that is slightly awkward for us in our modern day. It seems like the, the modern position is we either downplay and say, well, there are no healings, there are no physical, there, there's no miracle stuff happening. Or we try to say, well, then everything needs to be healed. Everything has to have the miraculous associated with it. And it seems like there's a tension happening in scripture. Some of my favorite missionaries throughout Christian history had serious physical ailments. Uh, just a couple quick examples, C.T. Studd and Amy Carmichael. Here are some individuals that had severe physical problems, and yet God used them in the midst of that. And I, and I think one of the reasons why their testimonies are so impactful in my life is the fact that they had to walk through the suffering 
joyfully. So it seems like, again, and I'm, I'm putting some tension here, <laughs> you know, but it seems like that when it comes to physical healing, that there's a tension between, well, does God heal everybody? It actually doesn't seem like that. And we got to trust in God's faithfulness. We got to trust in God's character when it comes to this idea of physical healing, that he is going to receive glory and he's going to do what is best according to his purpose and plan. And if according to his purpose and plan, our disease and our sickness actually brings him glory, well, then he's going to leverage that in our lives. Whereas maybe healing a particular issue in our life will bring him glory. Therefore, he'll use that. So that to, all that to say, if you're suffering through an ailment or you're dealing with a physical disease, realize that you can trust God. That this isn't about, well, why isn't he healing me? And therefore, I'm going to be angry at God. This is, all right, Lord, uh, while I'm suffering in the body, I'm going to put my gaze upon you and I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to seek to walk through this with a smile on my face, trust in my heart, and my gaze steadfast upon you. Lord, receive glory through this vessel known as my life, even if it is sick and decaying. And Lord, yes, I would love to be healed, but even if I'm not healed, I'm going to trust you. And you got to remember, even if God heals you, eventually you're still going to die. <laughs> not, not to be morbid. So in light of all of that, I again want to emphasize this idea. Yes, God is a healer. And I firmly believe that he desires and can still heal physical diseases, emotional distress, the emotional, physical areas of our life. But it seems like his primary healing focus is the spiritual because that is what is eternal. That's what is going to last. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says. Paul is declaring, for he, God, made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, there's something radical taking place, that there's a spiritual healing that is taking place at the cross, that here we are, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserve any goodness from God. We all deserve eternal punishment. And yet, what does God do? God, through Christ at the cross, made a way that we could actually be healed of our sin, that Jesus wants to forgive, to remove, and to heal this twisted, perverted reality that we all have, which is that sin fleshly nature. Now, take that idea and come back into our passage in Exodus 15. And I, I just want you to see the beauty of this. Now, again, God says, I'm a healer. I delight in healing. And yes, that is physical, emotional, and spiritual. But when you come into our passage in Exodus 15, there is this phenomenal picture of the gospel. Again, they're out in the middle of the desert. They've been walking for three days. They have no water. They are desperate. And so they find this body of water and, and no doubt someone put his hand in the water and put it up to his mouth and had to spit it out because the water was bitter. It's been twisted. It's been perverted. It's not as it should be. Well, that's our lives, that we are this body of water that has become twisted. We have become perverted. We have become bitter. We are not as we should be. And so what was the solution? I love this. Verse 25 of Exodus 15. So the Lord showed Moses a tree 
And when he cast it in the waters, the waters were made sweet. Do you realize that's what's taken place with us at the cross? That here is our lives, these bitter waters that have been perverted, polluted, twisted. Well, what is the solution for those bitter waters? It's a tree. It's called a cross. And when that cross is planted smack dab in the middle of your life, that which has always been twisted, that which has always been perverted, that which has always been unclean and bitter and just not as it should be, God has not just restored. He hasn't just healed. He's made clean and he's made pure. In fact, it has become sweet. And that is an incredible reality of the gospel in our lives. That when Jesus, via the cross, is planted in our lives, that which has always been wrong, that which has always been perverted, that which has always been twisted, it can be restored, it can be healed, it can be redeemed. And now you can be as you were designed to be. Sweet. Could I remind you that God is Jehovah Rapha? He was a healer. He is a healer. He forever will be a healer. If you're dealing with emotional or physical distress, cry out to him. But remember that God's desire in your life isn't just physical or even emotional healing. Yes, he can do that. But will you trust him even if the answer is no or not yet? Will you trust that he he is working even this pain and even this agony to his purpose and plan? He's not a mean, nasty God trying to cause you to endure hardship. But he will use hardship as a sanctifier in your life and as a testimony to the world around you that he is good. And how you respond to the difficulties in your life, God can use as a declaration of his faithfulness to the nations. But in light of all that, can I remind you that he desperately wants to heal your sin? And I would encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and say, Lord, is there any twistedness, perversion, bitterness in my life? Is there any areas of my life that still have that little kink in it and I'm not as I should be? Which is one of the reasons we need to be in Scripture. Because as I come to Scripture and as I lay myself before the Word of the Lord, then His Word actually begins to show, reflect those areas of my life that desperately need Jesus, that need healing. He says, Nathan, you're not loving like you're supposed to. You're not walking in joy like I'm calling you to. Uh, See that moment right there? You're not in peace. And God wants to bring healing to those areas of my life. He wants to transform, renew, restore your life. So if you find an area of your life that's been twisted or bitter, would you allow the cross to take full effect in your life? Will you allow that tree to be planted smack dab in the middle of your life And would you allow the working reality of Christ through the Holy Spirit via the cross in your life to radically change and transform you? He is Jehovah Rapha. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including a list of all the verses that I read, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 206 for episode 206. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jehovah Rapha himself, Jesus Christ.